Hello there, my name is Pavel Brodowski and you're listening to Rebel Spirits, a podcast about legendary jazz musicians from behind the Iron Curtain who sought freedom in the art of improvisation. Today we're meeting Zbigniew Namasowski, a legend of Polish jazz, master of the alto saxophone, original composer, credited with being the first to blend Polish folk music with jazz. He's been doing his thing for over 60 years now, and he's still touring, and he's still recording new music. Coming up on Rebel Spirits. It's hard to imagine these days a world where music could be censored, but that was the case for Poland and the entire Eastern Bloc. After the war, jazz became a symbol of American imperialism and playing it publicly was forbidden. But then Stalin's death in 1953 loosened the tough grip of censorship across the communist world. In the late 50s and early 60s, jazz wasn't banned any longer. The authorities weren't really that interested, but when pressure to legalize grew, party ideologues realized that jazz was the music of the oppressed American blacks working hard in the cotton fields where the music originated. This was good enough to sanction jazz as an anti-imperialist music. In the late 50s, jazz music exploded with a bang, and jazz clubs and jazz festivals started opening up all over. This all took off after the first two international song festivals in Sopot. They were a huge success. The entire country was riveted. Jazz was, at that time, the great discovery in communist Poland. I'd say it heralded the coveted Western lifestyle. The Sopot festivals were huge for an audience hungry for any form of contact with the outside world. Suddenly, they could listen to bands from all of Europe. They could take part in jazz parades through their town. They could listen to music rich with the smell of enticing, distant world. But let me read you a little excerpt from a daily newspaper about the Sopot Festival in 1957. There were a number of Polish bands too, Hot Club Melomani, the Comeda Sextet as well as the Modern Combo, featuring a 17-year-old trombone player Zbigniew Namysłowski, who played cello. Yes, the cello. Alto saxophone wasn't my first choice. At school I studied cello and piano before that, so I was relatively proficient in those two instruments when I started to take an interest in non-classical music. Then, during one summer, Zbigniew found a trombone in a brass band depot. He started playing around with it, and just a few months later, he got invited to play in a Dixieland band back in Warsaw. I only played trad jazz on the trombone, 
Even so, the band I led at the time was called the Modern Dixielanders, and I tried to modernise this trad jazz, so much so that we even played a Coltrane piece once. This was the hottest avant-garde at the time. Once I became involved in modern jazz, I realised that I couldn't continue on the trombone. I figured that I had so many trad jazz habits, the glisses and other Dixieland tricks, that it would stop me from learning the modern jazz idiom on this instrument. Quite by chance, I got hold of an alto saxophone, and I think I can actually remember how it happened. I was on the train. We were on tour together with the band Hot Club Melomani, and it so happened that in my compartment there sat Krzysztof Komeda. We spoke about Komeda in our previous episode, and you'll hear more about him later. He's still the most celebrated pianist and composer from the early days of Polish jazz. Back then, it was popular among musicians, especially modern jazz pianists, to also play other instruments. And so Komeda carried this alto with him and played it a little. I asked him to let me try it for a bit, and I did. In the next compartment, which was completely empty, I started practicing, and so it went. These days, when learning to play jazz, you need a tutor. You need books, notes, tons of recordings. But Namyslowski's generation had none of that. They had only one thing, a radio show on the ways of an outlawed station. Well, I was a keen listener of Willis Conover's Jazz Hour on Voice of America. Everyone who had any interest in jazz listened to that. Well... It was a daily ritual. Did I know English? A bit. I attended the Methodists' classes for a while, but I'm not sure I learned much back then. any rate, what Conover said in his program was perfectly clear. Charlie Parker, for example. Charlie Parker, Willis Conover speaking. This is the Voice of America Jazz Hour. The music of jazz parallels the freedom that we have in America, something that not every country has. Voice of America was the radio station broadcasting Western news and music. Just like in the case of Ursula Dujak from episode one, that's where Zbigniew Namysłowski discovered jazz. Willis Conover's Music USA Jazz Hour. Voice of America was one of the very few places where people in Poland could listen to news and music from outside of the Eastern Bloc. Funded by the U.S. State Department, it was supposed to bring censorship-free news and culture to countries locked up behind the Iron Curtain. All the communist regimes devoted lots of energy to jamming and blocking Voice of America's signal, but they often failed and people could still tune in. Willis Conover, who ran the Jazz Hour, would present records, 
and introduced them in a very clear, overly enunciated way. He made sure people with little to no knowledge of English could understand what was going on. In fact, there were no source materials available, just Willis Conover's program. But this served to show us what music was on the market and who was worth listening to. And if there was ever opportunity to get hold of a record, usually on foreign tours, we didn't hesitate and bought what we could, what interested us. Then we swapped and that's how our knowledge of what's happening in contemporary jazz grew. But those were only audio recordings. We had no sheet music, just music to listen to. You had to learn phrase by phrase what these great musicians did and learn from them. Then you could experiment and make the piece or style your own. That's exactly what we all did. Only I had proper classical education, so I knew what to do. Which sounds form, which chords. The theory part was no mystery to me, and I also knew how to practice, to play long notes. I knew my staccatos, legatos. I knew what it meant to play in different idioms, with different dynamics. So this was a major leg up for me. I was one of the very few among the early jazz musicians who had a musical education. Before me, they were mainly amateurs. My generation brought a lot to jazz because we were classically educated, but we still learned the jazz trade on our own. There was no other way. With time, Willis Conover started developing strong ties with the nascent Polish jazz community. He would come to Poland and listen to youngsters who had often gotten into jazz thanks to him. And he liked what he heard. He wanted to push his project even further. At that time, Willis Conover visited Poland several times, and he had this idea to ask the United States Department of State to invite a Polish jazz band to the US. He loved Polish jazz and believed it was the right thing to do. And it happened in 1962. It was an incredible adventure because they sponsored a tour all over the States, everywhere. We visited practically everywhere, although obviously this was chiefly about places connected with jazz. The group that Canover selected was called the Wreckers. They were brought to New Orleans, Los Angeles, Washington and New York. They were invited to play concerts supporting Miles Davis, Duke Ellington, Cannibal Adderley and John Coltrane. They also played the Newport Jazz Festival, the absolute mecca of the jazz world at the time. It's really hard to imagine how big of a lift this was. To be self-learning jazz phrases from worn vinyls and suddenly only a few years later to perform at Newport and jam with some of the biggest jazz legends. This was in 1962 
and it marked the start of Namislavski's international career. Two years later, he would release Lola, a critically acclaimed album recorded in London for Decca, one of the most prestigious record labels. My quartet's performance was very well received at Jazz Jamboree. The festival had this tradition of starting with Polish bands, then came the European musicians, and finally there was always some star from the States. So we had visits from managers from all over Europe, and even elsewhere in the world. They were very interested in the fact that such events were taking place behind the Iron Curtain. Some of these were quite influential people, and so one such individual from Britain invited us after our performance to play in Britain. He would organize the tour. No i znalazł się taki jeden z Anglii, który zaproponował nam po naszym występie na Jezdemar przyjazd do Anglii. And we did do this tour and it was clearly a big success because apparently there were listeners who followed us from city to city to listen to our music time and time again. They liked it so much. And when at the end of the tour the record label Decca invited us to record for them, we naturally agreed. No problem at all. We weren't going to be difficult, and as it turned out, that was the first album by a Polish band recorded abroad. The album was called Lola. I feel very emotional about this recording. I was actually there when the music was first played. It was my very first jazz jamboree concert. I was only 16 at the time, but there was something very special going on. I didn't know it, but what we heard was the first glimpses of what would become Namislowski's unique sound. His Coltrane-like alto, his virtuosity, his melodies that blended jazz with folk elements. Just listen to this part. Now, listen to this piece of traditional music from Podhale, a mountain region in southern Poland. For people familiar with music from this region, there are a few elements that stand out immediately. The pulsing bass ostinato. The scale on which the melody is based. The jumping, jolty melody. These were the ingredients new to modern jazz and they made Namislowski's music have that X-factor, this little thing that made him different. Occasionally, 
Namysłowski would introduce an entire folk melody into his songs, but more than often, he'd sneak some elements here and there, playing on the character of a certain song or dance. Siódmawka, czy Mazurka, Uborka, czy Boberek, to już są wyłącznie moje Siódmawka, Mazurka, Uborka, or Bomberek are all strictly my compositions, inspired by folk music. As the title Mazurka Uborka suggests, it's inspired by a mazurka. But I couldn't tell you which particular mazurka because I didn't use the melody of a genuine folk dance melody. I just used the character of this dance to create my own composition. The album Lola went on to become a sought-after jazz relic. Not only because of its brilliance, but also because the original master tapes disappeared without a trace. To get hold of one of the very few copies left, you have to be very lucky. And brace yourself for a big price. Soon after, Namysowski would be invited to record an album that would become a staple of Polish jazz forever. Krzysztof Komeda, whose big have mentioned before, asked him to take part in the recording session for Astigmatic. This album is the Polish and European jazz what kind of blue or love supreme mean to jazz overall. You should definitely listen to it. We recorded that first album practically without rehearsals. From what I remember, Krzysztof led the sessions practically without saying anything. He liked to stay quiet. In rehearsals, he just showed us how he played it and you had to imagine what his thinking was. And most everyone somehow found the right way to interpret his melodies. <laughs> he had this undeniable power to communicate with fellow musicians without words. You see, only a few of the best jazz players have their own styles. Something fleeting, elusive, but special enough that you can recognize their records just at a few bars. Just like in painting, or boxing, or architecture, the best performers have their immediately recognizable ways of shaping their respective matters. Namysłowski is a good example of this, and he came up with his style in an interesting way. I was mainly inspired by tenor saxophonists like John Coltrane and then Sonny Rollins or Joe Henderson. When I first became interested in playing alto, Art Pepper was my favorite, now a lesser-known musician. Quite by chance, I got his single, a 45, and I listened to it until it was all scratched. Another record I came by was Charlie Parker's, and that was actually the end of my interest in altoists. After that, I listened mainly to tenors and indeed tried to play what tenors played, not sure if to the best effect. That's how it went. Tenors rephrased differently. I'd never heard an altoist who played like Coltrane or Rollins, but uh, that's what fascinated me, and so I dropped my early alto favorites. In the 1970s, all those elements of Namysłowski's sound were fully developed and fell into place he'd go on to record two of his absolutely iconic albums. Winobranie, which is Polish for wine fees, 
and Kujawek Gouswanki, the Kujawek being one of the Polish folk dances. Everything we've talked about until this point is there. Folk-inspired melodies, Namysłowski playing alto saxophone, piano and amplified cello, and accompaniment from some of the best Polish jazz musicians of the era. It is fresh, surprising and energetic. A lot of the music on these albums is composed. For the musicians playing it, it is very hard. It requires incredible awareness and virtuosity. There are rhythmic and harmonic riddles everywhere. The meters are changing and the solos are very open to the point of bringing hands of free jazz. But for the listener, it is pure joy. It was a revolutionary fusion of hard bop, rock and Polish folk melodies. I will never forget seeing the band in Portugal in 1974. People went nuts. Even though the next artist to perform was none other but Gato Barbieri, they wouldn't let Namysłowski's band leave the stage without an encore. Winobrania and Kujawa Gauswanki, these albums were the pinnacle of what is called Polish jazz. One of the hottest names in European jazz, Namysłowski decided to take a shot at making it big in New York. However, it didn't exactly go as planned. To tell the truth, I did at one point decide to emigrate. I spent two years in the States in New York. But then things went badly in my marriage with my wife. And also I received an offer to compose a film score in Poland, so I returned to compose the score and when Pagart, that was the state arts agency, a monopolist for international touring, realized that I was back, I had my passport confiscated and that was that. Pagart was an almighty artistic agency that had complete control over representing Polish artists abroad. 
you couldn't perform outside of Poland without a say-so, and they could hold your passport if you didn't collaborate with them on their terms. They decided that I broke the agency rules by staying and playing in the States for so long. That was unlawful, because I should have been paying Pagot commission for all that playing. Even though all my gigs barely covered my bills, and, and they expected a cut of that. Any rate, I had a ban on international touring for a year. I remember several invitations from festivals in Europe and how Pagart would respond that they didn't represent me. Huh. That's how it was, but then Pagart was finished and you could represent yourself and travel as much as you pleased, without a communist go-between. In 1989, the Iron Curtain fell, and suddenly anyone could travel freely whenever they wanted. Namuslowski toured all over the world, bringing people his folk-infused version of Polish jazz. He continued, and still continues, to release new music. I just want to give you a sense of what he still means to the jazz listeners of Poland. At Jazz Forum, the jazz magazine I've run for the last 40 years, we have a critics poll for the best and most important Polish records of all time. Namysowski's Kujawegoswanki and Winobranie were placed respectively at numbers two and three, with Komedas Astigmatic featuring Namysowski being number one. Speaking of Polish jazz, the funny thing is Namysłowski doesn't really believe such a thing ever existed. If someone has found Polish elements in my music or decided that it's a kind of music played by Polish musicians and somehow different from American jazz, that's their opinion. I believe that Polish musicians have always tried to play American jazz. Not Polish jazz. I certainly try to play in the American idiom. I can accept that certain Polish elements are present in the themes, but I certainly don't improvise in some specifically Polish fashion. I wouldn't even know what to call that. Whatever label we want to give it, Zbigniew Namysłowski has always kept an eye out for fresh talent, for young musicians who could inspire him, and is known for having mentored some of the best leaders of the Polish jazz scene today. I only play with young musicians because they're good. I play with my son, Jacek, an excellent trombonist. Sławek Jaskuka is my permanent pianist. And Andrzej Schwenz plays the double bass. The wonderful Grzegorz Grip played the drums with me for years, but unfortunately he was killed in a car crash. Patrick Dobosz is my drummer now, also excellent. Keep an eye on Zbigniew Namysłowski and his band. You'll definitely hear more of them yet.
This episode of Rebel Spirits was hosted by me, Pavel Brodowski. The show is brought to you by Culture PL, the flagship brand of the Adam Mickiewicz Institute. We would like to thank Zbigniew Namysłowski for sharing his story with us. We'd also like to thank his son, Jacek Namysłowski, for helping us to record the interview during the difficult pandemic circumstances. If you'd like to listen to more records from our today's protagonist and the young players from his band, please see the show notes for this episode or go to culturepl slash rebelspirits. Also, remember to subscribe to our channel wherever you get your podcasts and help us promote the show by telling your friends about it. That's all for now. Keep swinging.